What's up, friend? I'm so glad you're here. I am talking with Brittany Braswell today. She is a colleague of mine, and we're talking about one of my favorite topics, overcoming negative body image. Brittany is a registered dietitian, food freedom, and body image coach, and host of the Joy-Filled Eater podcast. I am so excited for you to hear her take on body image and how we can heal that connection with our body. We will be hitting on the top three key pieces, two of which most women have likely never considered, that are needed in order to truly achieve and sustain the confidence to care for your physical and mental health. We're doing this all from a position of play and joy, never from a posture of worry and obligation. So you can finally overcome those fears and insecurities that we just cling to and cause us to like feel like the meal plan is the answer. We're diving in deep today and I'm so glad you are here to hear this interview with Brittany Braswell. Hey, I am Jess and I'm obsessed with all things nutrition, science, and helping you navigate this information while maintaining a deep sense of peace and empowerment in your body. I'm a registered dietitian who started out with an eating disorder and then fell in love with learning about how God intricately designed our bodies to be resilient and so much more than superficially beautiful. I am now a mama who loves to be healthy, not because of how it makes me look, but because of how it has transformed the energy I can give to my family, my friends, and you. On this show, we hit on real talk around the latest nutrition science and body image resiliency, all while balancing it between grit and grace. Think of this as your weekly audio coffee to encourage your empowered eating journey. This is the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. Well, hey, Brittany, I am so glad you're here today. Um, we have actually a really similar background, lots in common. Yeah. So I'm just excited to have this conversation and pick your brain today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and chat with you through all this today, Jess. So good. So we're going to be talking about three key components of body trust and how cultivating it opens the doorway to better body image and lasting food freedom. But before we dive into the meat of this, Brittany, I really want to know, tell me a little bit about what got you to this place of serving women in this capacity? Yeah, um, there's so much, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. So I, as an undergrad, I started off with a different major, but just decided like, I really want something that is applicable to everybody that I can talk about all the time. And I was a bit of a foodie. So I thought nutrition, that sounds great. And the more I got into it, um, the more I, I didn't even realize it at the time. There was a lot of good food, bad food talk, Mm. eat this, not that, do these things. And by the time I got into my dietetic internship program, which we're required to have to become a dietitian. I just saw how ineffective that was in trying to coach and counsel and educate people who a lot of them really wanted to make positive changes for their health physically and mentally. And even though sometimes they would have physical health improvements, their mental health, like when they kept being told you don't need to be eating this, but they're eating it anyway. And Mm -hmm. all this guilt and shame and I can't do this. And I'm just, this is just the way I am. Um, I just saw how disheartening it was for them, but also for me on like, you know, I did this degree to try to help people improve their lives, improve their health. And it was just like getting the opposite. It's like Mm. there, something is being left out of the teaching and coaching process. And it wasn't until I went back for my second year of grad school, I had a, my first year of grad school in conjunction with my internship. And then I worked in a hospital setting for a couple of years and got a chance to finish my second year when we relocated. 
And I took an eating disorder specific class there, as well as like a behavior change related class for health professionals. And it wasn't until that point, Jess, that I really saw how prevalent disordered eating, anxiety around food and body, like all these things were. Um, And I, it kind of brought up some stuff in me like, oh my gosh, look what I have been doing. And this is, I got to get away from this. And there is this better way. And so I just sort of dove in. I went into grad school anticipating um, to do like sports nutrition. That was my focus. That was where I was headed. So many of us did. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And thankfully, like by the grace of God, he was like, let me just use sports nutrition to show you how prevalent this disordered relationship with food and body really is. And I just saw it like out of the woodwork, all these athletes that some of them intentionally, some of them had no idea what they were doing to their physical and mental health. And so it just became like, like the wool was uncovered, you know, and I was like, okay, I can, I can see what's going on. Um, and so from there I ended up, um, we, we were in Texas, we moved back to Alabama and I was able to work at, um, specifically a treatment center for adult women with, with eating disorders, or at least very severe disordered eating Mm -hmm. and just had the privilege and honor to be in the trenches with them day in and day out. And it was in that time that I just felt called to open a private practice and to be able to reach the people who couldn't be there on site, who couldn't make it be face to face, but still needed support and needed somebody who understood what it means to feel like I'm totally out of control, or I just need all of the control. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not always one or the other. There's that gray area in between. Um, but it was, it was definitely a journey from like little to no awareness to like, oh, I'm starting to like, I don't think maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be eating these foods as a dietitian or what does that look like with me saying this is okay. Um, all the way to this place of like food neutrality, food freedom, taking care of your body, but not letting the body become an idol. So good. So good. So I'm kind of curious just to take you back to one of the first things you said, you said like the good yeah. or bad food list popping up. Yeah. Do you think, so as a dietitian in your training and in your undergrad, do you think our training is something that like sets us up to support good and bad food lists? Oh gosh. Yes. Okay. We could have a whole nother conversation. I know. I just want to know what you think. <laughs> so this is just, this is one reason I love and adore working with college students. If I could speak to every college student, every nutrition and dietetic student across the country, like I would book flights, I would, I would use finances to make it happen because so it's, it's not the information that we're taught in the, or at least that I was taught. I can't speak for everyone, but I had some incredible teachers. I learned some phenomenal things about nutritional biochemistry and physiology and how the body uses what we give it, but the way in which it is presented there create like an appreciation and a respect for taking care of our health Mm -hmm. without the rigidity, or it can create a whole set of food rules that lead Mm -hmm. to guilt and shame. And so I think it's oftentimes not the information that it's bad. It's just that way in which it is presented. And for so many people, unfortunately, whether they've been exposed to nutrition education or not, they hear a lot of the presentation that demonizes food rather than keeps it neutral. Totally. When you went through your training, what was, what was your experience? Did you feel like it was empowering information or did you feel like it kind of led you more towards the rigidity? Well, I think what was so interesting is as an undergrad, 
lots of like, oh, this is great. I'm I'm a science nerd. So like learning all about yes. physiology <laughs> and chemistry, I was like, this is amazing. It gave me this major appreciation for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that light, it was really, really cool to just be like, you know, there's no way we're all an accident. Like this is our bodies are so intricate and mm-hmm. can appreciate what my body does and how it works. But it wasn't until I started getting into practice that I realized, okay, well, what I think is really empowering the way that I'm expressing that to others and teaching it may have the opposite effect because if totally. I'm telling them, Hey, this is how your body works, but you need, you know, X, Y, Z kind of fuel to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then it can kind of create some of that condemnation. And so I, I thought it was great. I was like totally blindsided by like, Oh, this is amazing. And it's making people feel really bad or incapable or like they have to have a PhD in nutrition in order to treat their bodies well. Um, so I think that's the unique thing is that so many people struggle and so many people communicate and talk about food in such mm-hmm. an unhealthy way. And they have no idea, no idea. Um, yes. And so that's a huge part of why I love what I do because like, just give me a megaphone or a podcast mic and let me help you. Like, let me just bring some awareness, right. um, not just to people who struggle, but people who have no idea that probably love people who struggle and have no idea that they do. And so there's so many things we could do with our language just to like make some tweaks um, to not present food or health, quote unquote health um, in such negative or guilt, shame inducing kind of light. Totally. Well, I think the big difference between like being a dietitian and going through that curriculum and being able, because I agree with you, like learning the biochemistry of how food is digested in our body was so healing to me. Like that's where I stepped back and like really found recovery in my relationship with food was understanding how, like, I love the word you use intricately, like designed our body is like God created food to be digested in our bodies. And it's really cool when you get into the biochem of that, but you know, most of the people coming in to see us and I totally relate to you on this, that we, they come in, they're not coming in through a biochemistry lens, right? Like they're coming in through, I'm remembering what my high school boyfriend said to me about my body or, you know, the way somebody looked at me when I was dressed a certain way or how I feel people are treating me differently in this size body compared to another size body. And Mm so, you know, we're coming in with our own experiences and that's like, I'm like, give me a microphone and like, let me teach chemistry to some people and biochem (laughs) because I think, yes, it does change like how you view some of these micronutrients and the information, the way you receive food. But yes, let's be honest. Not everybody as is as into biochem as you and I probably are. <laughs> I, love, I love being able to talk about it though and take something that is so complicated. I remember I was telling someone this, this past weekend, like I remember going into like reserving one of those study rooms in the library and I was preparing with two or three other girls for our first or second biochem. And we were doing mm-hmm. this, one of these huge metabolic pathways. And we were having to draw out all of the little like parts and pieces of the, you know, get nerdy here, but like all of the, like what's added to here and what comes out here and how totally. it all goes around. And some kid came in and he was like, Oh my gosh, what class is that? I've never <laughs> taken it. And I'm sitting here thinking this is fascinating. And so part of, part of what I do love about what I do is get to take that really complicated information and teach it and educate and coach on it in a way that like makes sense and is applicable totally. and totally. like, helps people appreciate it without having to know all the ins and outs and details. 
Yes. Cause as much as I had a love for biochem, I also had many nights where I was like, what is the point of this part? Like, I'm not going to use this yes. piece, right? But when we're breaking yes. down glucose and fructose molecules, that's yes. a different story. Right. Okay. So we could totally go off on a biochem tangent, but for yes. the sake of folks listening, we will do that today. Yeah. On the same page, let's talk a little bit about building this relationship of body trust. So before we get there, why do you think, Brittany, so many women struggle to actually listen and understand their body? I think one of the biggest things is that people have reasons for needing and wanting to disconnect from their body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. Often, oftentimes there are things like trauma, which you may mm-hmm. not realize is trauma or that, you know, like something was done to my body or there was some sort of neglect um, and there's that creates a lot of inconsistent physical cues. You know, something you talk about a lot, Jess, is like that the biofeedback, right? And so mm-hmm. many people have a hard time recognizing that that they they don't want to connect with their body because it feels foreign. It feels uncomfortable. They can't trust it. Mm-hmm. I've had clients that this might be a little bit of a trigger warning for anyone struggling with fertility, but I've had clients that have had miscarriages and they're like, I can't trust my body. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so if the, your body doesn't feel safe or trustworthy, that can be a huge reason why you don't even necessarily want to fully pay attention to what it's doing. Absolutely. Um, And then the other side of the coin there, I think is often just a lack of awareness or knowledge on, Hey, when my body, when I feel this in my body, I have no idea what it means. And so I have no idea how to respond other Mm -hmm. than either getting hyper-focused on, I shouldn't be feeling that way, or this is scary because I don't know what it means and I don't know what to do about it. So I think those are two two or three are kind of the biggest areas I see that Mm -hmm. keep people from even wanting to, or being able to understand what their body trying to communicate. Totally. Well, and I think the trust piece is so huge because we, you're right. We lack that trust for whatever reason, trauma, stress, current situations that we can't, we don't really fully understand. So we don't trust our body. And I think like when we don't trust something, we want to control it, right? We want to be able to, we want to be able to manage it. And so, um, yeah, it can be really tricky, which is when we see the eating disorders start to develop. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And you and I touched on a lot of anxiety, right. Around food. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I touched on this before we started recording, but I want to kind of bring it up again, just the whole idea of using the word eating disorder, because we both have a background in working at an eating disorder clinic. Um, you know, I personally have a background with an eating disorder, but I notice when I say that word, like people, yeah, they don't like it. So tell me just like a little bit about, you know, your experience with disordered eating and how you differentiate between like eating disorders and disordered eating or just anxiety around food. Like how do people know if it's their anxiety around food is an issue? Okay. Can I give you the non-textbook answer that's going to rub some people the wrong way? Totally. <laughs> um. So, so they're, they're absolutely like diagnosable criteria. Um. But unless you've been to psychologist, sometimes a therapist, like gotten a specific diagnosis, like whether you have a diagnosis or not, nobody was created or meant to live with anxiety around food. Like it's just not meant to be that way. So honestly, I'm not saying I want to try to belittle the fact that someone may have a diagnosis or say that it doesn't matter or it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Like let's don't minimize what's there. However, 
for me, that does not impact the way I'm going to work with somebody. Because if you have anxiety around food, whether it has a label of a diagnosis on it or not, we don't want to live in that spot. If that mm-hmm. is uncomfortable, if that's stressing you, if that's, if you have any sort of anxiety ridden, stressful relationship with food or your body, you deserve help. And you do not have to meet certain, I have to be X, Y, Z sick. I have to meet these certain criteria in order to get better because that is one way that your brain tries to tell us like, you don't need to ask for help there. That person's worse off than you, or you don't have that label. So it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes, there are criteria. Yes, you can. If you, if you think physically or mentally, that's a whole other topic. Like, yes, there are sometimes some physical related criteria and that is not the only part of it. Mm-hmm. So no, you don't have to be a specific body size. I've had clients of every shape and size, um, have had a diagnosis of anorexia. Same thing with bulimia, same thing with orthorexia, same thing with a million in-betweens. Mm-hmm. And so please don't put yourself in that box and say, I have to meet this criteria or I don't really have, you know, a disordered relationship mm-hmm. with food. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I like your off the book answer a lot. I really <laughs> appreciate it. And I think, yeah, I have such a personal connection to that because my past with my struggle with an eating disorder was very much that I, I did not go to a psychologist. I didn't go see a therapist. So I never was officially given that label in the time. And I don't know, like looking back, I don't know if it would have helped or not, but I think what I needed to hear was what you just said was like, it doesn't matter. Like whether I have the label or not, it doesn't matter. Like nobody deserves to have anxiety and a distrusting relationship with your body. Like we are meant yes. to live in harmony with our body. And yeah. like, Period. Regardless of how disordered or not disordered your eating is, if you have distress around your body or anxiety around food, like that's not okay. And there is a, there is hope. Yes. There's hundred percent hope for them. And it doesn't even mean like, you may even say, well, I don't don't do any of those behaviors. I I don't think I restrict. I don't binge. I don't purge. Mm -hmm. I don't fill in the blank. If there is that mental stress around it, that is the huge piece. I mean, eating disorders are essentially like um, manifestations of that anxiety, right? I could have Mm -hmm. six different people that all struggle with some sort of major anxiety. One might show up as an eating disorder. Another might show up as substance abuse. Another might show up as involving themselves in unhealthy relationships. Mm -hmm. It could go a hundred ways, right? And so it's less about the behavior and have to meet certain behavioral criteria and more about what's the root of it. And can we address that so that don't have this urgent desire to engage in these things that are totally healthy for my physical, spiritual, mental, emotional health. Right. Well, they're all coping mechanisms of some right. form. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So good. Okay. Thank you for that. I love that. I hope somebody listening feels that and like gets, gets the message. Like I'm anyone listening. I'm just want you to know, like, if you do feel that we stand in hope with you and know that like yes. you are worth the time <laughs> in healing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So gosh, Brittany, man, you and I talked at the beginning, we're going to have to stay focused on our questions because we could go a hundred tangents. (laughs) Okay. So bring it back body trust. Can you explain to me what body trust is and the impact that it can make for someone who wants to feel more confident in their, both their body image and their physical health? Yes. So body trust is we, we hear the term intuitive eating or eating more intuitively a lot, but that requires what I would call body wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. So wisdom involves like recognizing what's going on in your body and responding to it in 
an effective or beneficial way. Mm -hmm. We can't do that until we first establish that trust. Because if somebody, if somebody that I don't know tries to give me advice or tell me how to parent my children or what to do with my health, and I have no relationship with them, I'm going to write it off. Mm -hmm. I have no reason to trust where they're coming from. And it's, it's the same with our bodies. We've got to be able to trust the signals our bodies are giving us before we can then know what mm -hmm. to do with them. So if you're, if you're feeling frustrated, I'm like, no, like I've tried intuitive eating. It doesn't work. It's very likely that you're maybe not at a place yet where you can fully trust what your body's trying to communicate to you. So that's kind of the concept that we're working towards first before we can really start trusting that biofeedback and we can start trusting the other types of signals that our bodies are giving us in mm -hmm. order to know what to do with them. That's going to be effective physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So good. So good. So yeah, really building, it sounds like building the bridge before. And do you think part of that, because one of the things I like to hit on in biofeedback is like, it's not necessarily like, like the trust comes when you understand it. And like you start to build that bridge with your body, not necessarily when you get it perfect. And I think that's probably the lie intuitive, at least like the social media version of intuitive eating tells us, right. Is right. that like your body right. just naturally tells you when it's hungry and when it's full. And that's yeah. just not always true. And our experiences validate that. So it breaks the trust. Yes. Yes. So sometimes it takes some of those behavioral changes, maybe working with someone you do trust to say, now I trust you than I more than I trust my body. So mm -hmm. can you help me create some consistent patterns that will allow me to start recognizing what my body's telling me so that I can then begin trusting it? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the first things. Um, one of the very first things I'll have folks do is like eat consistently. And I'm really vocal about this one, like eat every two to four hours because yes. you need fuel every two to four hours. And people will say like, well, what if I'm not hungry? And I'm like, this is how we're going to recalibrate because yes. your body's been through maybe intermittent fasting. You've been through keto, like you've been through stress, all of these things, all the things impact your hunger, satiety hormones. And yes. we've got to reset it before we can actually understand how to or rely on it as yes. a source of like direction on how to eat and fuel. Right. So you want to notice those changes as they happen, right? Like I have clients that will say like, Brittany, I feel like I'm hungry all the time, or I think about food all the time. And then I have some that are like, and you know, I never feel full. Or yep. I never recognize hunger. And you, you can't trust, like if someone tells you, okay, well, when you're hungry and stuff, when you're full, you cannot trust those signals at that point because they're not regulated. And so we've got to get to a place. And this is where a lot of that behavior stuff comes in when we can create those patterns and that consistency, we can test out and try. We want to listen to our bodies in the process, but we want to let our bodies and our signals kind of be an indicator and not a dictator of our behavior in that mm, process. So good. Indicator, not dictator. I like that. Very good. <laughs> well, talk to me, Brittany, about your three key components of body trust. Yes. So, so this is where I start with, um, well, I shouldn't say start. There's some pre-work when you're, if you're transitioning from a very disordered or unhealthy relationship with food in your body, this is what I would consider kind of like almost the middle stage. Cause mm -hmm. at least for me, I do a lot of beliefs related work, a lot of identity, a lot of digging into body image before we start implementing a ton of physical nutrition related changes. And so I would say this is kind of that prequel to intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. But you also have to have let go of some of the food rules because we're getting ready to test some stuff out and try. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so the three big components I'll go over and then we can dive in as much or as little as you want with each of these. But the first one is or the, the first component will 
had about is interoceptive awareness. And that is really that concept of like paying attention to and recognizing those signals your body gives you. So mm-hmm. for, for a lot of the nutrition things that might be hunger and fullness, mm-hmm. it might also be from a nutritional standpoint, how does food feel in my body? Um, mm-hmm. It might be recognizing, do I have nausea or any sort of GI upset or bowel movements? Like um, it's even things like when is my heart racing and I'm getting more anxious because your gut's going to be a little more stressed, right? You're going to have right. that feeling, that false feeling of fullness, mm-hmm. um, your bladder being full. That doesn't so much impact hunger, but like these kind of things are interoceptive awareness. It's just that fancy term for like recognizing what your body is telling you. Doesn't mean you have to know what it means yet. Just means you're starting to recognize when things are happening and what they feel like. Mm-hmm. So that is the first, first component. The second component is I don't know if it's everybody's least favorite. It's my hardest one is patience. Mm-hmm. Um, because we live in the society where instinct, we've got this desire for instant gratification. We want to see immediate change. We want like the big aha moments. And so I think lack of patience prevents a lot of people from really establishing body trust. And then the third one, also not, not a lot of people like, which is why these things take time. So effective is submission. And so I talk about submission. Um, I work with a lot of clients who really want their faith as a part of the process. And so when we're talking about it from that standpoint, we talk about submission to the Holy Spirit and listening, like not just letting your body and your flesh lead the way, um, not just going off of what our bodies tell us, because like we talked about a minute ago, when our signals aren't established, we can't only listen to our bodies that gets us in trouble. Just like when we only listen to our feelings, um, But in other ways too, that might be submitting to a a team of people you're working with, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. you're a dietitian. It might be saying like, okay, I got to let go a little bit of the pride and I've got to get some feedback from people who have some perspective and can see other things going on in my life. And so it's kind of being open to hearing feedback, whether it is in your faith or maybe from some of the relationships around you. Oh, good. So good. So interoceptive awareness, patience and submission. Now the patience piece, I think that's the one I want to unpack a little bit because I do think, I mean, I find that to be the most challenging when working with clients. Um, you know, like I just got off a call with a gal right before you, who's making incredible work. And one of the things I really encourage is not using the scale as a form of biofeedback, right. Or if we're going to use it, we got to use it in a very responsible way, but I just, I just believe we women have too much emotion around it. Like it just never have I yes. ever had a woman get off the scale and go, I loved what I just saw and feel empowered, you know? Yes. <laughs> or like, even like when, or even getting off the scale and going, that's neutral. That's not going to impact right, my day. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I can even honestly say after doing this work for just about 15 years, recovering from my own eating disorder, like I still don't get on the scale because it still messes with my head, even after all of that work. And I, I mean, I can reroute it and redirect it very quickly, but like, why put myself through that? You know, why even spend energy there? Yes. And I think about it, like, what difference does it make if my relationship to gravity is slightly different today than it was yesterday? Totally. Three hours. (laughs) Totally. Right. Or if I was carrying more water today, right? uh (laughs) Yes. That doesn't actually impact your Mm -hmm. health and it's going to fluctuate. So like, we don't need to worry about the intricate details there. Totally, totally. Personally. Well, so she was a great example because she's been doing amazing things, but she did get on the scale and like it didn't do what she thought it was going to do. And 
she did a great job of like redirecting, but then we had to have the conversation on like the amount of time this is going to take. And I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I almost feel like bad at telling clients. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, this is going to take a year, you know, maybe longer. It's my, this is a lifelong journey. And I haven't figured out how to like package that up in a pretty bow to make it more appealing. Do you have any better luck in helping people feel more comfortable with this part of the puzzle? So it's so funny you asked that, Jess, because I, I mean, minutes before I hopped on, I was talking with one of my sweet precious clients and she was like, I am feeling really resistant to a lot of this because I thought I'd be further along by now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we walked through that process of like, we, we talk about most sessions, like we've got to focus on the wins and it's one of the things that we try to do is like, you can't compare your journey to food freedom, better body image with something else that you already know the end result with, because mm-hmm. when you know what the end result is and you have that set timeline and you try to compare it, it's apples and oranges, right? Like maybe it's more than, maybe it's like apples and I don't know, pick something random that's fruit. Like it's very different. And so I think one of the things I just try to do is set expectations that we have to throw the timeline out because as soon as you put a timeline on all these different milestones that you want to achieve, like, yes, we need a goal. We need game plans along the way to help those things happen. But if we set a time limit to it, if we set this, like it has to happen by this day, then we're kind of like the same thing when we say should, like when we say should be doing this, we set this expectation here and we're automatically putting ourselves below it. No, y'all totally talk with my hands. So I know when y'all are listening, you can't see me do this, but like, just imagine like, you know, putting your hands one on top of another, like the width of your face and going, okay, this top one is where I think I need to be I'm already putting myself here. And so there's that automatic guilt mm-hmm. or shame on I'm not good enough or not doing something right. And there is no right or wrong in this process. There is growth and there is discovery along the way going Mm -hmm. what's helpful, what's beneficial and what's not. So the short answer is setting expectations early on that like, yes, it may take six months, nine months, a year, multiple years, and there's not a standard for this. So you're not being graded along the way. I love that. It goes from there, but that's a good place to start. No, I love that one. One of the things I really like that you said is like, you have to see how far you've come or you have to notice like the things you are doing. And I think um, actually one of my mentors said that to me, nothing to do with like body image, more to do with like my personal goals. And she was like, when you're working on something this big, Jess, like you have to acknowledge the little things along the way, because they're not little things. And that, that celebration and that like perspective is what's going to allow you to keep going forward towards some of these big goals. And when it comes to food freedom, that's a big goal, especially if you've got a history of disordered eating or weird body image stuff. Like it's a big goal, especially in our culture and our world. Yeah. And I think it helps when you kind of, um, I'm gonna call it like future cast. So like I'll give you an example. I had a client who one of the first questions I asked them in our first meeting is like, how, like what percentage of your waking hours do you spend thinking about food or mm-hmm. your body? And she was like, probably 90%. And the other 10%, I'm either in class or, you know, I'm having a serious conversation or something. Right. And so a couple months in, we're kind of doing like a recap on her progress so far. And she's mm-hmm. like, Brittany, I still think about food all the time. And I said, okay, well, let's quantify it. All the time is real subjective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she figured out, she was like, it's probably about 70% of my day. I said, do you know that 
that, that's that's 20% of your yes. day. Like if you're awake for what, 16 hours, I don't know what that is. Let's say 16 times 0.8. You're like dropping it down by nearly an hour every day. What are you, what do you get to do in that hour that you that's didn't get huge. before? And it's only been two months. So in another two months, what's if that's another hour you get two more hours you can spend doing something quality that you were totally distracted from before. Mm -hmm. And so when you can kind of push it out and go, well, what if a year from now I'm only thinking about it 20% of my day? Like, so being able to kind of look at the difference and going, look at what's possible. We can't guarantee progress, but look what you have done. Look look at the progress you've already made and celebrate, even though you're still thinking about food more than you want, you've got to, it's so easy for our brains to see the thing we don't like most and to ignore, ignore the wind. So I keep, um, I keep a little jar of confetti on my desk and, um, (laughs) that is my favorite part of every session. We always start off going, what were the wins this week? What is like one thing that you noticed that you were either proud of or excited about, or that I can hype you up about that is a win. And we throw absolutely you have to get in that practice. You have to, do you notice so I start my sessions actually the exact same way. I'm like, what yeah. were the wins of the week? But do you uh-huh. notice how hard it is for people to stay there? It's like they go, well, I did this. And then you know what happened. It's like, we don't stay Wait. in the positive. <laughs> we are Velcro yes. to negativity and Teflon to positivity, especially when we're yes. like evaluating our own progress. Yes. And so I think that's why it's so important, whether you're working with a dietitian, a coach or not, like you need somebody in your life who mm-hmm. was going to say like, let go of the, butt. like, what did this, but then this happened, mm-hmm. put a pause on that and like celebrate that, give it the weight that it's worth instead of just putting your focus on the, where you haven't gone yet. Cause that does, okay. that will set you back. That'll keep you from going forward. Cause you're going to think, well, I haven't done it. People forget that word yet. Right. Mm-hmm. You gotta put that at the end of the sentence. Like I'm not yet. there yet but there is hope and there you've, you've already proven yourself, proven to yourself that you can make progress. And so you just kind of keep that. on letting the progress I love that. Yet is one of my favorite things. I play this game all the time where I, I hear it a lot. I mean, in person, like at, when I'm at the gym where people are like, I can't do that. And I'll like throw them all yet. And they yes. kind of look at you like, yeah, not yet. Like it completely yes. changes it. And like, if we can throw that into our food language. Like we started talking about like the power of language and we're talking about food. It's like, you know, I think so much, I don't know how to change my food yet. Like, I don't know how to, that yet is so powerful. It is. And it helps so much with that patience part of Mm -hmm. the process. Like bringing them back here, going like, I, we don't want to be patient when we can't predict the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I had really bad dating experience in college because Part of patience requires making decisions that are not rushed, like thoughtful mm-hmm. decisions, and you can't rush the process. And I rushed into this like very casual dating relationship, while at the same time I was already like in love with my now husband. And I'm like, he doesn't, you know, we're never going to date. He's never going to like me. We were friends at the time, and it ended up turning into this whole dramatic mess between this guy that I was very casually starting to date because he and my husband were friends like knew each other, like not Mm -hmm. super close, but knew each other. We were all involved in the same like college ministry and friend group. And so that was a lesson to me, like unrelated to food and body. I was like, I cannot make rushed decisions because once my husband and I finally kind of had the conversation on, oh yeah, we do actually have feelings for (laughs) 
we were very patient in the process of like, wow, when do we actually start dating? Um, when do we like, what are these you know different milestones in getting to know each other and the progression of our relationship? And there's so, there's so many benefits to patients, not just for sure with dating, right? Mm-hmm. That eventually led for us, for us to ended up in marriage and, you know, two kids and one more on the way. And so being able to practice patience with ourselves, practice mm-hmm. those not there yet. And if you really struggle with that, like the quick, I'm not going to say the quick fix here, but the first thing you need to go do right now, if you don't have somebody helping you with the not yet piece of things, like mm-hmm. get somebody on your side. It is not weakness or failure to ask for help. It is so, I so wise. It's so much wisdom going like, I recognize these areas where I'm getting stopped. And if I can bring somebody in to help me like push past that wall, like I can sprint a little more. Right. So I love that. That that would be my, my encouragement there is if you're struggling with patience, bring somebody in who's a little more patient than you are. <laughs> or just that has the perspective and training. Cause I think, you know, I always compare it to money. Like there's a reason I have a CPA. I did not go to school to understand how at all the ins and outs of taxes. And I've yes. tried it on my own and I, oh, I dug a hole this year. I had to call my CPA and I was like, I messed up big. Can you please save me? Right. And there's no yeah. shame in that. Like, why would I know those things? And it's the same thing with food. I just think food is a part of our day-to-day routine that there's maybe like a little bit more emotion around it. Like we feel like we should have it figured out, but the reality is like, why would we? They don't teach us this in school unless you become a dietitian. (laughs) You have to learn this. It is the same thing when you were potty training a toddler, right? Like I would never expect my 18 month old or two year old to know how to use the bathroom every day without consistent help and practicing it. I'm never mm-hmm. going to yell at her and go, did you have an accident? You shouldn't have done this. Like, that would be ridiculous. I love her. I know she doesn't know how to do this. She's never had the experience of it. At least, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult, you've probably had some sort of experience of being more of an intuitive or empowered eater, but you get away from that so easily. And so put yourself in that place of like, okay, if, if somebody is trying to potty train, right? Yeah. There's, you can't set these expectations. You can't tell a toddler, you better be potty trained in the next 72 hours. Figure it out. Good luck. Best of luck to you. (laughs) Then you get more stressed. It gets harder to listen to your body, a whole, a whole myriad of things. So having patience and then having someone in your corner to cheer you along throughout the process. So, so key. I love that. I love that. And I love your confetti idea. That is phenomenal. I'm going to give that to you right now. And if any of my clients see me pull out confetti, you know, it's because of Brittany Roswell here. <laughs> I think that is love such it. a great idea. Such a great idea. It's, so, it's so fun. It's so great. Well, Brittany, it has been so wonderful chatting with you. I could genuinely talk to you all day long, um, but I know (laughs) we got to wrap it up here. Um, I do like to end the show. This is totally on the spot. I didn't send you this question in advance, but because it is the Fuel Her Awesome show, I always like to know what is the number one way you like to fuel your awesome? And that might be with food. It could be more metaphorical. How do you like to fuel your awesome? So I'm in a season right now. I love this question because I'm in a season right now where fueling anything awesome requires saying no a lot. Um, and so I love the amount of place where I'm like, I am not worried about, okay, I don't have time or energy to think about what is someone going to think when I say no, that is, it is my life. It is my family's life. It is our health. It is our mental sanity. So I need to say no. And you can learn to say no graciously mm-hmm. and no can be a full sentence by itself too. 
You don't have Love to always that. explain. So um, fueling boundaries. anything for me right now is like setting some healthy boundaries Love and it. being okay with saying no. Boundary boss. I love that. I've been full support of it. (laughs) Well, Brittany, it's so great to connect with you. I will have all of Brittany's information and how you guys can connect with her in the show notes. Uh, Yeah. Hopefully this isn't the last time, Brittany. It's a great chat and I, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jess. Gosh, I'm so glad you joined me today. If today encouraged you, would you take a minute and encourage me by leaving a review for the show? I read every single one of these reviews and your words, they mean so much to me. This podcast is here to support you weekly, but it only scratches the surface. To learn more on how you can become an empowered eater, snag my free workshop, how to eat intuitively and hit your goals without obsessing over food at jessbrownrd.com. Don't forget to join me right here next Monday where I cannot wait to fuel your awesome. Cheers, my sweet friend, and happy eating.